0: Welcome to A Strong Woman for Strong Women with Erica Cummings, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management. In this podcast, we help busy, high achieving women overcome the financial stresses that can impact your health, wealth, and happiness. Join Erica as she explores ways you can create a healthy balance of financial wellness and replace limiting beliefs and bad habits to harmonize your journey toward total emotional and financial wellness. Let's get started.
1: This is part two of Erica Cummings' two-part series on transitions. In part one, she talked about the four stages. And in this episode, she discusses ways to prepare for change and what to do when transition fatigue hits. I'm Patrice Socorro. Erica, more women may be facing unexpected independence and not necessarily for positive reasons. Talk to me about that. Hi
2: Patrice. Yeah, whether it's a loss of a spouse, a divorce, retirement, a career change, becoming financially independent by choice or by circumstance can be both financially and emotionally exciting for some and devastating for others. The reality is that these events are far more common for women. We talked about in the last episode, we live longer, so it's far more, uh, we're more likely to experience one of these. And knowing how to navigate through these transitions is pivotal. Many women are not financially prepared for these changes for a variety of reasons. And we've been talking about this over our episodes. It's nobody's fault, but unfortunately, we still are not as involved with the family finances as men are. We may not have any involvement in our day-to-day discussions about family financial affairs. And in my experience, women often wish they had. So when something happens, a lot of times when I meet with these women, the problem has already occurred. So we talked about those transitions, something went awry or maybe something was rushed and they come to me where they're already in a situation Mm -hmm. that needs to be fixed. And they always say to me, I wish I was more involved in long-term financial decisions. So these are the five steps that I recommend women take to gain confidence and increase participation in their family's financial situation with the intent of easing the financial burden of that unexpected transition at any point in life. We, I always use the mattress scenario. So our, I consider my job to, building a mattress as thick as possible. So we are going to fall in our lives. And if you think about standing next to a mattress, if I push you, we want the thickest, (laughs) cushiest, most absorbent mattress. If I'm going to push you, the last thing you want is a towel on a hardwood floor to fall on. So a lot of these things are unexpected, even retirement. I mean, there's layoffs, there's things that we don't expect when it comes to our careers. And We can't exactly know when the date is. And as we talked about in the last episode, that first phase, that anticipation phase may not even occur. So we do have to do a little preparation in order to make sure that that mattress is as fluffed up as possible. So when you fall, you will fall, but at least you will fall a little bit more confidently and knowing what to do next. You can get up again. Yeah, exactly. Without breaking everything. <laughs> right. right. Now you mentioned
1: your, your first point here is to stay involved in family finances. Now, in my experience, I have seen among my friends before they got married, they were very involved in their own finances. Then they got married and kind of let it slide over to the husband.
2: Yeah. And, and that's so step one is to stay informed in family finances at all times. And to your point, we've discussed this in the past episodes. The variety of reasons as to why we're not involved can be anything from, I don't feel confident enough to be involved. This has just always been the way that our family was designed to those of us that are working, raising kids, trying to find balance in sports. And we just talked before we started today about all the end of the year testing that my sophomore has to go through. And so we take on a lot, doctor's appointments, you name it. And sometimes when we look at our finances, it's just something we can take off our to-do list. Mm -hmm. And so it's the problem with that is your finances are not a task. Helping your kids study for a final is a task. Going grocery shopping is a task. Mowing the lawn is a task. Making sure you're financially secure and knowing what's going on within your household finances, that is a life choice that is something that's going to affect you every step of the way. So a great first step to becoming more involved is open communication and a candid conversation between partners about their joint financial situation. And if you're listening right now and you're currently uncoupled or you're engaged, it's best to have this conversation before stepping into the I do phase. You want to ask your spouse. To be questions about their financial situation, can't tell you how many people have said after they've gotten married, they found out that there was all kinds of debt. There was issues that they never knew. You want to know how much debt's out there, what investments they have, what they spend their money on, what are their spending habits, even their credit score. You know how many couples go to buy their first house and that's the first time that the spouse finds out about the other person's credit score.
1: That is not good.
2: No, it this knowing and having these discussions will not only set a solid foundation for both spouses to be involved in that decision making process from the beginning we're setting a precedent but it can also ward off big financial disagreements and we know that finances are one of the biggest oh, reasons yeah. that people end up in divorce so we also have to recognize that a lot of women say oh yeah i'm involved in the day to day household operations i pay the bills i i take care of all the monthly expenses that is not going to translate to knowledge of a family's long-term financial security. It encompasses so many other areas and both spouses need to be aware of what the sources of income are, what their expenses are, what assets they have, what liabilities they have, where are all the accounts, all the important documents, insurance coverage, how investments are allocated, and whether the investment allocations are appropriate for both of you. I meet with lots of couples that are very, very different in terms of their risk tolerance, their tolerance to deal with market volatility, to deal with gains and losses. It's important that both perspectives are respected and understood and that you have continuous dialogue about all parts of your financial life. What do you do when a Uh, a
1: couple comes in and one is extremely conservative and one is, let's go get
2: them. How do you bring them together? We have to talk through what they collectively want to achieve. So it's, there's no right answer. So I have clients that come in and are very, very conservative and we just have to work with conservative assumptions Mm -hmm. and it's saying, okay, let's figure out where the emotional tie is, what that person's money story is. A lot of women come in, they're super conservative because we've had so many experiences in our lives. Or we've seen our mom go through something in the past that has really kind of created this narrative in our head that you can lose your money tomorrow. Or if I spend too much, I'm, I'm not going to have enough. I'm going to run out of money. It's something that we carry. And sometimes it's just talking through where that came from. On the flip side, We can have another spouse that thinks, you know what, I'm going to gamble and we can shoot for the stars. And it's actually showing through different scenario planning, what it looks like when you lose 40%, what that could mean for your long-term retirement projections. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's creating different types of scenarios where you actually can see and project what life might look like that helps to kind of find common ground. And your number two point here is think long-term. Yes. The first step to preparing for any major life event is understanding that the worst can happen. So when I talk about any type of event planning, whether it be a loss of a spouse, a lot of times we don't like to plan for a divorce. That's never been a, we've never had couples come in and say, we want to plan for our inevitable divorce. But you can have those conversations with somebody separately that, you know, what would happen if I did decide. We want to prepare for the worst possible scenario. I always feel that when you look at the worst way that things could end up going, it's almost a relief because- At that point, the unknown portion, at least we've explored what it might look like. So for example, when I am doing any type of survivorship analysis, so looking at what would happen if a spouse passed away, I look at what would happen if a spouse passed away tomorrow, Mm -hmm. worst possible scenario. And then we plan around that. It's not pleasant to think about at all. These are very, very difficult conversations, but couples need to understand the financial consequences of one of them passing away prematurely, especially when we talk about younger families. These are what I call high impact, low frequency events. They don't happen often. We know when we look at life expectancy statistics. They don't say that many people are going to die when they're 40. However, it does happen. Right. And when it happens, it can be devastating. You often have a mortgage. There's kids that are still requiring childcare or college. Everything can change when you can't save for retirement like you used to, because you only have one income. So it can be extremely devastating and we want to plan for those things. So for example, we work with our coupled clients through, like I said, scenario planning. We determine what that financial plan will look like if one partner passes away early, which like I said, can impact so many financial decisions. So looking at that partner passing tomorrow can affect when you retire, how much you can spend in retirement, how much you can spend now, how much insurance you need to have, if you have pension, whether or not you should pick different survivorship options. The list goes on and on and on. It's important to always plan for the worst case scenario and the longest life expectancy, which is often the female of the relationship. Couples that only focus on that day-to-day decision making without any long-term plans, um, they often underestimate the inherent risks to their financial plan, and they never take the steps to address them. And unfortunately, we realize um, the impact too late, and it's after there's really no way to go back. And unfortunately, like I said, women tend to live longer, and they do bear the brunt of of the loss. So. Uh, It's a very emotional conversation. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it has to happen. I have never had a client say to me, I regret this process. I regret, I've had many times clients say, I wish I had done this. I wish I had known more. I wish we had planned for this. And when it comes to, let's say, I sat down with my husband. We've obviously done this because this is what I do for a living. And I anticipate he's going to be the one to die first. So I plan for that. We buy insurances based on that. We have disability insurance. We've done all the planning necessary in order to make sure that that mattress is nice and plush. And if something happens, it's going to be horrible. I mean, it's devastating. However, from the financial side of it, we will be protected I hope that all of my premiums are a big waste of money. Mm -hmm. I hope I paid for that life insurance and it was the worst money I've ever spent because in order for it to be a good investment, quote unquote, you have to die. And you have to die in in a period of time that you weren't anticipating dying. So I think about it like homeowner's insurance. We pay it because we know that in that high impact, low frequency event that may occur in your house, it would be devastating. You wouldn't have a home. So we pay our $1,000 a year or whatever it is for our homeowners, and we hope it's a huge waste of money. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things are not fun. They're not enjoyable, but it's absolutely necessary to make sure that, God forbid, something happened that you're not looking back going, I wish I had done something different.
1: There's also relief. Uh, Your next step here is put an estate plan in place. The people that I know who have wills, they admit
2: when they finally got them done, the relief was incredible. It is. Yeah. My joke is what a Prince Michael Jackson, Amy Winehouse, and Aretha Franklin have in common. They all died without a will. When this happens to a celebrity with tons of resources and tons of people giving them all kinds of advice around them and they don't have a will, I'm just in shock. But I will say in my two decades as an advisor, I would say about half the people I've met with have no estate planning documents in place. And this is especially difficult when you have small children. So at this point, and obviously you have small children, you're married. If one of you passes away, we know what the scenario is going to look like, but heaven forbid, it's the two of you. Mm -hmm. Now a court is deciding where your children are going to be raised and how they're going to be taken care of. We don't want you to fall into this category. Estate planning documents, whether it's wills, power of attorney, healthcare proxies, they not only help to organize your financial affairs, For the person who's taking care of things when you pass on, so whether it's your spouse or if you're older, your children, whoever it is, it makes it easier on them to carry out your wishes, but it also simplifies the decision-making process in emergency medical situations. So I'm sure there's people listening today, there's women listening that have had to make very difficult decisions for their parents or for someone they love, whether it's, a big quick medical decision because of an accident, or if it's deciding life or death, medical decisions, you want to at least know what that person may have wanted in order to feel more at peace. So having that will in place, having that healthcare proxy, having this the power of attorneys, it helps the surviving spouse not to have to go through all of this legal undertaking in order to have assets transferred and move things over to whoever um, we want them to go to. And this is especially true as you get older and, and it's time to pass beyond your spouse and to your kids. I have seen some really, really, really difficult situations within families where the parents probably never anticipated there would be the type of fighting that ensues when there's no estate documents in place. So estate not documents need to be, it, it's important to meet with an attorney, absolutely, ultimately meet with an attorney and put the proper estate planning documents in place and have them reviewed often. And then especially when any of these life events occur. So a priority, for example, for a divorced person, I have a lot of people that don't even think about this. Their 401k still has their ex-spouse as the beneficiary. Not good. They're- yeah, their will, their will still has their you know, family members that they don't want anymore. Um, it is one of the things that really needs to be updated anytime that your goals and objectives change and you want to make it a priority to constantly look at those beneficiary designations. Make sure that if, let's say, you didn't want your kids to receive assets until they were a certain age and now they have their own families and maybe you want to do something for your grandchildren, nobody's going to know that. And everything's going to follow whatever documents are out there. So, you want to make sure all these things are up to date, that you're looking at them as often as possible, and especially if something major occurs in your life.
1: Talk to me more about the insurance uh, coverage. You mentioned that before and
2: how it really, you hope you never have to use it. Yeah, I hope I never do. You know, anytime we think about insurance, what we're doing is we are basically just insuring against a particular risk. And risk, by definition, is the possibility of loss. So, when we have homeowners insurance, it's the possibility of the loss of our home or the contents within it. Same thing with our automobile insurance. When it comes to life insurance, it's the possibility of the loss of a life Mm -hmm. and how much insurance you need is really dependent upon what your life is contributing financially to the people that need it. So if you are in my case, for example, our kids are still minors. They still have to go through college. They still, we still have to contribute towards our retirement. We're both doing it in both of our plans. If I die tomorrow, my retirement contribution is gone. The income to the household budget is gone. Help to the kids down the road is gone. If you have a mortgage, half of, or whoever is contributing is gone. So really the biggest thing that I notice with a lot of women that are going through any type of major life transition, the biggest fear is the actual fear of the unknown. So they come in, something has happened, and they've been married for 20 years. They've never been responsible for any of their finances. And even if they were financially responsible, they may not have really had deep conversations about insurance, about retirement planning, and they are scared and they don't know how they're going to move forward. They don't know how they're going to manage their households and their budget and what they're going to do for their future. And many families have not considered whether their insurance is even adequate for the other person to maintain the same standard of living. A lot of times people think, well, if I just cover my mortgage, that'll be fine. We need to do a complete analysis of if this person passes away, what does that mean? Given that more women survive their spouse than men, adequate life insurance coverage is as important. It's huge when we're still working to ensure that the widow can maintain her financial independence and men, we, you know, we all want to take care of each other. So this is something that if we just take a step back, it's again, not a comfortable conversation, but the last thing I would want, if I passed away tomorrow is for my husband to have to worry about how he's going to take care of our children and for him to have to have a different life than we had already planned for. So it's an important topic. To cover, obviously, before someone passes on, but also afterwards. So if you've gone through the loss of your spouse, you need to reevaluate your own life insurance, your own disability insurance to determine whether you need it anymore, or whether it reflects your new goals and your objectives as a newly single individual with or without children to support. So anytime we go through one of these major life phases, we need to look to see about that insurance coverage. Divorce is another one it can open up a whole different type of insurance planning. So for example, let's say that you get divorced and either you're paying spousal support or you're paying child support, or you're the one receiving it. If the payer passes away, the person who's paying the spousal support pays passes away, the payments are going to end. The income's done. So this could have a significant impact on whether or not The person who is relying on that income can have a successful financial future. It's important for the person who's receiving that spousal support or child support to consider insurance as a tool to replace that income. This is important for you, it's important for your children, and it's going to help to ensure that the insurance that's in place is going to the people that are going to need it the most. I've worked with women that don't even know what coverage amounts or they have what the term is of the insurance policy and worse off where to even find it. So they'll say, I know my husband has insurance. I just don't know where it is. I know we have a will. And now they're digging through documents and trying to find things under the worst possible duress and under the most emotional, saddened time. This can be resolved by keeping important documents in a location where they are easily accessible to both spouses we talked about this and known to both spouses. Yeah, exactly. We talked about this. I can't remember which episode number it was, but about the binder process that we go through with our clients. This is so important. Organize all your financial documents. I can't stress enough how invaluable it is to have during that transition. So when we talk about that anticipation phase, this is a part of the anticipation phase, doing the, the work ahead of time so that There's no way to get around the emotional and the mental and the physical transition that you're going to go through when some of these events happen, but we can take some of the pressure off the financial portion. If you've done that preparation, you know, where these most important papers are and not just you and your spouse, it's going to be your kids at some point. In my case, my mom's the one who will take care of our kids. If something happened to my husband and I, she knows where everything is. She doesn't have to know what's in it. She just knows that if we don't make it home, the binder is there. And then she knows who to call and how to move forward. Right. Right. Most important part is to know where everything is. Another important part, and that's
1: your next point here, is having a support system.
2: Yeah. And this is, you know, not necessarily, it's, to me, it comes both from my professional experience and also my personal experience. If we are more likely as women to end up alone than men, then without a support system, our ability to recover from a traumatic event is certainly lessened. Because of this, I have found that women should maintain healthy social ties outside of their marriages, outside of their relationships. They should continue to encourage family relationships, friendships, so that they have a network to turn to for emotional support. And this is, you know, we have times in our lives where we joke that We haven't seen friends in six months, nine months, 12 months. And it's wonderful when we get back together and it's like nothing has happened. If you can do that, that's wonderful. And I think we all have friends in our lives that we can make sure you're still nurturing those relationships Mm -hmm. because when something happens, that is who we're going to turn to for support. That's who is ultimately going to be there. In addition to maintaining kind of the social ties, we should also maintain our engagement with the people who can provide financial and logisticals strategic help in case of any of these types of scenarios. So that means having a good support system of professional advisors. If your spouse is the one who has the attorney's phone number or the financial advisor's phone number, that's not great. You don't want to have your first contact with this person to be after the event occurred. So go to the meetings, introduce yourself, be a part of the initial kind of preparation, and then the ongoing conversations so that when something happens, you can look to them for guidance. They have an idea of what you want and what's important to you because we're trained to somewhat be emotionally detached from the situation. We care about our clients. We want the best possible outcome for them, but I can provide a level-headed perspective that often a family member and friends not may not necessarily be able to provide. So although we are, you know, we're obviously there as emotional support, we can also help to make really good decisions and not get caught up in the grief and the distress of the moment. So Mm -hmm. I've seen clients of mine where they've lost their spouse and they show up in my office and I can't believe for that period of time, how they're able to just be grounded. And then they'll probably leave, get in their car, and just fall apart. But for that moment that they're in my office, we can come to a point where we have whatever that decision needs to be made made that day, and at least have a little bit of the cloud that's around you during that time period at least lessened. For that, that it's an, it's hard enough to try to deal with the emotional aspect of a major life change. The last thing you want to do is worry about your financial well being. I always say my job is to. as much as i possibly can to allow that person to just grieve and to go through the transition that we talk about with as little stress as possible about their finances
1: but there is exhaustion transition exhaustion
2: yeah so we've um we spent our decades working understanding the impact of transition on our clients these events whether positive or negative planned or unexpected can be draining and upsetting which certainly can lead to fatigue this is kind of that experience of depletion. This often occurs during that passage time period because the process can take months or even years. And we could have you know this kind of feeling of a declined outlook on life. We can let our physical health and our mental health be compromised. We have a loss of connection to people. Think about people that we've known that have gone through these events and they just don't return phone calls or they don't go out like they used to. And this can certainly affect your ability to make good, cohesive decisions. So the fatigue subsides over time. It really does. If you go through the phase and you and you process it correctly, and you take the tips that we've talked about, and certainly all the tips from all of the specialists around you, um, it can subside. It will subside, but it can be overwhelming at the time. Our experience has shown that the emotional impact on life is so crucial to understand, not only for the person who's experiencing it, but all the people around them. We try to be aware of a client's state of life so we can support them in important decision making. Clients who are overwhelmed may need us to narrow the choices and point them in a direction. We talked about having decision kind of paralysis where there's so many different things that you can be doing that you just don't even know what to choose. Having an outside resource can help you to narrow those choices. Other clients, we've said to them, take no action right now. They're in a frantic state of wanting to regain control because things are out of control. At that point, maybe no action needs to happen. Mm -hmm. It's really about recognizing what the behavior is, what our clients' specific needs are at that point in time. During this transition, um, we often see clients or decision making of those clients to land into one of four categories. They want to decide it and get it done, they want to delegate it away. They want to hide it. Hmm. So pretend it doesn't exist or they want to be like super hype or present. And, and they, it, it just becomes, um, so intense that it's not good for their well being either. These fallback behaviors are often unconscious for most people. They don't even know they're doing it. And we need to kind of acknowledge that the struggle is real. And how do we create healthy ways to, to kind of address it? And, You know, in this case, we're trying to really avoid poor decision-making and our role is to support our clients and know that they're overwhelmed. This is overwhelming. I've had clients experience transition exhaustion that could affect long lasting parts of their financial life. One example is I had a client in the middle of a very, very contentious divorce, extremely contentious divorce in her urge to just be done. She was so tired. She was so worn out. She wanted to give up on the alimony. Forget it. It was it was the biggest argument out of everything. They had been married for 20 years. He owned his own business. She left her career to raise their children, the youngest of which was seven. Luckily, her attorneys and I were able to help her reconsider. And I look back 10 years later, she's flourishing. She's back in her career. She's doing well financially. She's in a new relationship. I shudder to think if what, and who knows, maybe it would have been the same regardless, but I tend to think that the fact that she didn't give in to that exhaustion and, and really did what she needed to do to, to have the outcome be what was right for her was, was the best possible way. And so these are situations where you just want to be done. You're so tired. And so we want to try to make as, as much of an, an avenue for people to avoid the irrational by recognizing this mental depletion. So we're not medical professionals. And just stress that twice. <laughs> we are not medical professionals. Um, but in my experience, we the ways that we can combat this fatigue are the same ways that we take care of ourselves on a daily basis. Just healthy diet, sleep, exercise, talking about and, and, and communicating through the whole process. And I've encouraged pauses. Just take a pause. Today, you just have to do this. And let the person just regroup. Those feelings of being lonely and less connected and looking instead for support groups and counseling and more family time can be very effective. Some women who've lost their spouse and have never made financial decisions are faced with paperwork and a steep learning curve as they manage through a time of incredibly profound loss. We all understand that losing a loved one is a devastating event that causes long and lingering changes in one's lives. Our goal is to spend time educating our clients through these four stages, recognizing that everyone has their own unique timeline, and encouraging self-care, support, and knowledge so that they can navigate through all four of those stages to their new normal.
1: How can listeners reach you, Erica, people who have
2: questions and who may be in a very tough situation? You can find us on our website at harmonyfinancialwellness.com always feel free to email me at erica.cummings@rbc.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, and we also have a Facebook page for the Harmony, uh, the Harmony Group. And to make sure you know when the latest episode
1: of this podcast is ready, follow it. It's very simple to do and share with others, especially
0: the women in your life. Thank you for listening to A Strong Woman for Strong Women with Erica Cummings. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest as of the date of this recording, is subject to change without notice, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of RBC Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or another qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and insurance products offered through RBC Wealth Management are not insured by the FDIC or any other federal government agency, are not deposits or other obligations of or guaranteed by a bank or any bank affiliate, and are subject to investment risks including possible loss of the principal amount invested. RBC Wealth Management is a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. RBC Wealth Management does not provide tax or legal advice. All decisions regarding the tax or legal implications of your investments should be made in connection with your independent tax or legal advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. It is not possible to invest directly in an index.